I'm in the lasts right now, which is a really great season for me for the moment. This is the last Wednesday I have to spend away from my family. I'm praying that they will not find me to be in this condition when they they do. So we'll see what happens. There are very few areas as heavy on my heart as this one. And I think it's because of Well, I think it's just the experiences we experience as we love people. It's different when you are just doing something like a hireling where it's a job. And somebody doesn't like the burger you flipped. And then you just, you know, you go home and you realize somebody tried to make your day nasty. And that's about it. But when you get to that place where, you, where everything you're doing is about people... Everything changes. And you have two options, to be honest. You have the option of choosing to guard your heart in such a way that you will not allow it to be broken. It's a very natural, self-protecting, and to be honest, even most logical choice. But it's unfortunately, or fortunately, not the Lord's choice. Jesus told us if we sought to save our life, we would lose it. If we sought to lose our life, we would gain it. And in all honesty, that's one of the easiest ways to seek to save your own life. To save what you know of who you are. Now, I'm not telling you to become a basket case every time somebody does something. There's a faith in God that transcends that. And I know that my God is playing for keeps. It's come to my attention that this year I will officially be in ministry called a pastor for 25 years. Can you imagine? 25 years. No matter how big the block is, I've been around it a couple times. Some might say, I'm coming down the hill you going up on. And of all the heartbreaks, the stalkers, the people who have turned psychotic, whatever it is, those things that the people you love that turn into be something quite different than you had hoped. The most painful thing are the carcasses of those who once held the gun and wore the the uniform next to you. For the nation Israel, and we'll assume there's nearly two, three million people who left Egypt. Nearly two, three million people's bodies will be left in the wilderness. And then that's just people. It's your mom and dad. It's your uncle and aunt. It's your nan. It's anyone over 20 other than Joshua and Caleb, who, by the way, during that generation the only two people who had the faith to take the ground that God promised. Talk about being the outcast, not being the socially in crowd. And this wasn't the secular 
ungodly world around us. These were God's people. Had it occurred to you that of God's people, of the two plus million that left Egypt, two of them, of God's people, would enter into what God had for him? And if you were 19 years old, in 364 days, wouldn't you be thankful they said no on that day instead of the next? Because he held everyone 20 years old and older accountable. Be like, whew, thank you, Lord, my birthday was tomorrow. David would speak about Ahithophel, his counselor. The one for whom he broke bread has lifted his heel against him. Now understand there's something to say because David's chief counselor had a granddaughter whose name was Bathsheba. David's bodyguard, one of David's chief bodyguards was her husband. But David knew the pain of betrayal. But it's one thing to have somebody do something stupid and stare you in the face that you had fought with side by side and have them turn and do something crazy and point the gun at you. They'll always be that. You actually kind of expect it. Now, you don't expect it. Like, you don't look at people and go, oh, I expect you to be like that. You just know that that's part of the, the way this game is played. But there's always a chance for repentance. I'm, I'm optimistic to a fault if there is such one. So I'm always hopeful for the person who says something really stupid, does something really stupid to repent. But the guy that you watch that catches the fire of Christ, the girl that you watch that moves out of her boyfriend's house, gets serious about the Lord. She's reading and she's praying and she's, man, and every time she opens her mouth, you expect to be blessed. And you watch them. And there you are, shield to shield, sword to sword, walking and gaining ground together. And you watch them grow and mature and rise up. And people start gathering around them. And you're loving on them. And you're just loving what they... And you just want to release them to the wild, so to speak, because you expect so many beautiful things. It's a guy in San Francisco who, man, Todd, man, when he taught, he was just funky and kind of yuppie and kind of hipster and kind of, it's like every group dug on him. We would do these conferences together for whatever reason, how to reach the youth. It was me and him. I was the old guy. You can imagine that. Todd was teaching a thing called regeneration in San Francisco. And it was like he took over a bar, like a nightclub, a club. He cleaned it all out. It was church. Another church had thought they had become irrelevant. And they asked him to pastor that church as well. And so this great guy, Todd, was going from place to place every Sunday sharing Jesus. And then you get the call from his wife. 
He's been involved in such dungeness things that the people that he had been involved in now are coming after him. He had lived a total double life. Sexually perverted, sick, and his wife was deathly afraid, and for good reason. You you never see that coming. It's the guy just 20 minutes away from us. Looked like George Clooney. Good looking guy. And boy, I tell you, when the guy taught, his illustrations were just beautiful. He fished, I guess. I didn't. But he showed me this lure that he had taught with. And it was like this cool little thing. almost looked like a hula girl. And then you flipped it up and it was this giant hook on the other side. And he said that was what sin was like. It's all beautiful and dangly. And it's so attractive. But you don't see the hidden hook. And that stuck in my mind. And then he sits down with me at my house in Cayucas. Play the cookies between us. And tells me the story of how he had gone after a girl um, as he was leading a trip to Israel. She winds up calling the authorities on him because she isn't, isn't interested. He's got a wife and a child. And he looks at me and stares me in the face and he says, you know, the worst thing is, I never got the cookie. How do you respond to that? There's a part of you that wants to haul off and punch a guy like that so hard if it knocks sense into him. It wouldn't. He's now a policeman in San Francisco, divorced. The pastor who married us at the church is divorced. And somewhere down the line, you know, you look and you see these guys that were heroes that you walked with. They were like the starters with you. No, they weren't guys that you were always trying to bail out of the fire like the old Batman and Robin, you know, where it's like, why did he have that guy around? That guy always seemed to get into trouble. But this was, this was like, these were guys that were strongest. We were like the Avengers together, you know? And we, you know, one guy had a shield and one guy turned green or whatever, but all in the end of it all, everyone like think great things happened and the world was saved and great stuff happened. And then somewhere down the line, could you imagine watching the new Avengers and it comes out and in the end of it all, what happens is all of them go to fight, but somewhere in that everyone does something so stupid, they all die but one. You kind of go, well, there won't be another one of those movies. And you look, you look around, and, you, and it's like the guy you don't expect the least kind of thing. And you're going, how, how in the world am I still standing? And there's a graveyard you look behind you with a little bit of a foot and a little bit of a hand sticking out of the sand. And these were people you knew and you loved. Now, the good news is I still have hope for these guys. But man, the pain. But I'll tell you what hurts even worse than that is when it's someone from your own flock. Because you live with these people. We're family. And you watch them. And they light up and get excited for Jesus. And all you want, you lay up at night and you pray and you pray and you pray. Oh God, let them fall in love with you like I have. Oh God, please let them be in this situation where where they're so engulfed in you. Nothing could possibly be tempting. And you watch them get excited and get joyful. And man, they're magnetic. You know, I mean, people are coming in and it's like, who's, oh, I don't know. It's probably, they were cleaning the street and I invited them to come to church with me. It's like all those kind of stories. And, they, and you see these kind of things. And then it's like so amazing how sometimes it's the littlest thing. 
it's a word said by someone they've never met or something taken wrong by someone they have. It's just the littlest thing. And it isn't like they go and run off to another church. Usually what they do is they go and run off to the bars. They run off to, which tells you, by the way, this wasn't about the church. It wasn't about a person. It was about sin. You were just looking for an excuse. (coughs) And you hear it. But no matter what you say at a moment like that, because they're so busy deceiving themselves, the truth is just another thing to jump over. And you're like, stop it. Do you even realize what you're doing? And then it's like, you're going to end up pregnant. You're going to end up with a disease. You're going to end up in jail. Worse yet, you're going to be walking away from the Lord to do this. Hey, a year ago, there were some people in here, we had our eyes on that said, this guy's ministry material that are now... Where are they now? Now, it's not, look at, I'm not blaming any one of us because that's not the case. I'm more interested in you being, you being responsible for you and me being responsible for me. But God warned us of this. This whole section tells us this. Read it with me, would you please? I remind you in chapter 9, he told us we were to run to win. Do you remember that? You weren't just to put on your trainers and stand on the track. This was about people running for Christ. Not people being like, well, I'm a Christian, it's good enough. And you remember Paul said at the end of it all, I would really pray that in the end of all of this, that after we finish this race, I myself wouldn't be disqualified. But what I'd hate to see is all you guys run past the track and me not get there with you. Which Paul knew, by the way. Paul would say, by the way, what temptation do you guys have? I don't. What things do you struggle with that I don't inwardly burn? Understand, Paul was not like some kind of guy that was like a stoic monk. I mean, Paul would go into Ephesus. It's like the first thing they meet you is a house of prostitution. And you get Paul going, oh man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Timothy, Titus, Silas. Let's get a room on the other side of town before I have to look at this again. Understand, that was where Paul was. So when he talks about running to win and him not being disqualified, now we start showing you what that looks like. In chapter 10, and I remind you, this isn't a new idea. He says, moreover, in other words, he's built a bridge from where he started with the idea that we're to run to win and not be disqualified. Buffeting our bodies. Moreover, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. <coughs> Excuse me. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. They all drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Look at all the alls. We all had this experience. We were all slaves. We were all pulled out of Egypt. We were all slaves. And we all left it. That's where we started this. We all passed through the sea. We all watched the sea part. Exodus 13, God leads us by a pillar of fire and cloud. 
We walk through this sea as if it were walled up on both sides. Many believe, by the way, taller than the height of this building that we're in right now. And by faith, we walked on dry ground in between it. We all knew miracles. We all knew removal. We all knew how to step into that cloud. We all knew God's provision. We ate his food. We called it manna, manach, which means what is it? We didn't know what to call it, right? When God gives you something, has God ever given you something? And the only thing you can say is, what is it? God's like, it's for life. And you're like, really, that? He's like, yep. It's everything you need. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. And it says they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Isn't that kind of a fun statement? You ever wonder what that's like? A bunch of people are walking, and I almost picture it like the rock's kind of rolling behind them, and they look over, and it stops. You know, They walk a little bit more, it rolls a little bit more. The rock followed them. It's interesting, by the way, when God speaks about this rock, Exodus 17, 6, listen to this statement from God. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Listen to that again. I will stand before you on the rock, hit the rock. Is that a weird thought? Imagine if Hugo said, I'm going to stand on the rock, hit the rock. There's a part of you that thinks, I'm not going to just hit the rock, am I? What else am I going to hit? Hugo, I'm going to stand on the rock, hit the rock. But that rock that followed us was Jesus. And that's why the rock was struck once and supposed to be spoken to the second time. Not struck twice. Jesus only needed to die once. (coughs) But it wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. How weird is that? Did you notice all, 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 all? All were under that cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized. All ate that food. All drank that drink. All partook of the rock and died. What am I missing? Listen, listen, please. If the Lord tarries another year from now, (coughs) I would love to see every one of your faces here. This isn't about joining Calvary. We don't have a membership. But I can guarantee you this. There is a shepherd who prays for you. Who loves you. Now, hey, look at You want to go, if the Lord's leading you somewhere else, I'm shepherd enough to say, be where you belong. Just don't walk away from Jesus, please. There's nothing, nothing, nothing on earth worth trading him in for. Nothing. <coughs> There's nothing the world has to offer that could possibly compare But yet people still went. So what is it that these people did? What can we learn from them to not be a body scattered in the wilderness? Let's be honest. But for the grace of God, we would still be in Egypt. We'd have no option. Verse 6 says this. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not. And then he starts to tell us what they are. First, lust after the evil things as they also lusted. Seven, not become, second of them, but verse seven. Do not become idolaters as some of them, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and rose and drank and rose to to play. 
Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some were also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And it says in verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, Nuthesia, upon whom the end of the ages have come. And then he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. I can't imagine us getting past verse 12 because there's way too much. And to be honest, I'd rather spend more time in prayer today. I'm going to ask something pretty weird, perhaps. You don't have to do it with me. But I do this a lot in Israel when we have our Bible studies. At the end of this study, I ask for you to do what... When when I first... Let me say this way. Context. When I first got saved... And I first got led to the Bible a few years later. I didn't read it like I was going to be a scholar. I didn't read it like I thought I was going to teach it. I read it because I wanted to know the God of it. And I read it much like I played American football. I read it till I got tackled. I got up, I walked it off, and then I went back into it. And I would read saying, Lord, if I'm not doing something I should, if I'm doing something I shouldn't, show me. Sometimes I'd have to walk off a verse five or six times because there'd be so much in it. Sometimes I could read through a chapter and then I'd get nailed on one thing. Okay, all right, Lord, make me more like this. Or don't make me like this anymore. So I'm going to ask something weird. You don't have to do this. But I know I'm going to need to when we're done. Because I've got to tell you what, I'm so tired of having my heart broken over this. Hey, do something stupid, come back. You know, okay, let's get it it patched up. But I just don't want to see your corpse in the wilderness. I've seen too many of them. I've watched too many hopefuls rolled over in a pool of their own blood. My own brother. Because somehow they looked so hopeful. But apparently not enough. Please take these things to heart with me. And when we're done, I'm going to ask you to walk with me. Not walk with me next to me. Just walk it off with me, man. Walk around the building once. Walk on the inside, wherever, and just walk and say, all right, Lord. And maybe you're not that type, then you don't have to, but I'm going to. All right, Lord. Because I'll be honest, within each of us is a corpse in the wilderness. Let it be the old man and the old man alone. And the more we detach ourselves from the old man, the more we're happy to let him die without us. That's the idea here. Look at these five things with me, please. First it says this. Remember, these things, verse 6, were written as our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted. The word lust simply means, in essence, an intense craving. But it's a really simple thing. Please hear me. There is no appetite you have that is sinful in and of the appetite itself. For every appetite that you have, God has a set menu for that appetite. Important. Intimacy, the physical relationship, knowledge, purpose, natural food. For every appetite, there is a set menu. Now, there are some that would say, oh, that appetite's evil from the get-go. But then you're like, well, God gave me that. But the question is, are you willing to order off his menu? The enemy's menu is larger 
So it seems like there's more options. Look around the room for a second. How many things could genuinely be identified as food in this room? Maybe you have a bottle of water in front of you, some tea. Maybe some of you have a candy bar in your purse. There's some things back there, probably from Gales. We even have a couple of things from Domino's we left from this afternoon or from this evening. Now look around the room and see how many things aren't food. The pews are sitting on, this metal pole, those pillars, the speakers, and the wires. Isn't there a lot more things in this room that aren't food than are? Consider the fact that if we were to put two menus together, we could put a menu together of everything that's edible in the room that's actually not necessarily toxic. I'm not even saying that it's good for you because that would be a much smaller list altogether. But that just aren't deadly and toxic. We may have a few things on there. And then we have another menu that says, yeah, but look at how limiting that menu is. Wow, that nutritionist, what a close-minded bigot. They won't let you gnaw on that pillar. They won't let you try to slap down some of that lead paint that's over in the corner. They won't let you gnaw on a live wire. What a meanie. Do you realize that's what the enemy does with you? But it seems so limiting. It's also healthy. Do you realize if monogamy... Okay, we think, well, that's a daydream, but think about it. If monogamy, that means the idea of one man, one woman married, and that's it, was practiced all over the earth, AIDS would cease to exist in a generation. Think about it. Yeah, but that's so limiting. Yes, it is. But narrow is the way to salvation, and wide is the path to destruction. Anything that is not on God's menu is a lust. It's that simple. That's why lust isn't just guys wanting to have sex with girls. But that's the way we usually put it. You could lust after a Prada bag. You could lust after the new iPhone 5. You can... Because <coughs> the, the, the menu is limitless if you think about it. All it is is just wanting something that God does not have on his menu for you. And that will do it. We're not talking about things that make you sick. We're talking about things that kill here, aren't we? For corpses to be left in the wilderness, what that says is that this didn't just slow you down, this took you out. And for some people, that will be the case. Lust will do it. Now hear me. She's 30. She's single. She's not ugly. She's a nice person. But she doesn't understand why she's still single. She's had a very high standard and she's told her friends, this is the standard of the man I need to marry. He needs to look like, sound like, act like, and be like Jesus. But somewhere down the line, she keeps getting tempted with other menus. He says he is, and you know if you're honest, you're bending the rules. 
you know you're lying. But would it really be better to die with the wrong guy than to live with Jesus and no one else? How many times have you seen somebody that seems so in love with the Lord pitch their tent closer to Sodom because they thought that's where the greater options were? Come on, it's just a day in the clubs. It's just a day in this thing. And the next thing you know, and it isn't like they're gone from church, but let's just be honest. A lot of times there's a reason why people don't come to church because why would they want to go there when they're running from God? Now, I'm not saying you miss church for a Sunday, you're backsliding. But we all know, but we, let's be honest though, there are times, let's say, but when you're backsliding, who wants to go to church when that's happening? There is a term that God uses. It's a place, actually. The people whined against God, and it says in Numbers chapter 11, we're almost there, by the way, if you think about it. The mixed multitude who were among them, I remind you, when they left Israel, it wasn't just Israeli. I'm sorry, when they left Egypt, it wasn't just Israeli. It was Egyptian as well. That's what made them a mixed nuts. So the children of Israel wept and said, who will give us meat to eat? And they cried and they whined at God. He gave them, we read, by the way, the desire of their heart, but send leanness to their soul. <clears throat> and they look and say, God, why aren't you giving me this? Come on, God, how long do I have to wait for that job? How long do I have to wait for that person? How long do I have to wait, dot, dot, dot? And it says that the place that they yielded to these intense cravings, and it just says, fine, I'll do it myself. Those words are a suicide note to the Spirit often. Fine, I'm tired of waiting. And the place gets called, and I would ask you to repeat this after me. Remember this term. First of two words, kibruth. Would you say kibruth? And then this fun word, hataava. Hataava. Try it. Hataava. And it means the graves of craving. They yielded to this and said, fine, give it to me now. God says, you don't want it now. Oh, yes, I do, God. Give it to me now. It's a lust right now. It's not on my menu. Look, at there are things God will add to your menu later that isn't on your menu now for a reason. Give it to me now. You realize you're at the border of Kibroth Hitaava right now. You are at the graves of craving. And that's the first of our five. And let me ask you, are you struggling with lust? Not just internet pornography, though easily that puts it into that. God, you're not giving me that girl? I'll find her on the internet anyways. But anything off of his menu. Because can I warn you, beloved, it kills. It kills because you know darn well you are choosing something over God. You know it. I know it. But we go, ah, la, 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 not going to listen to me. The point, the part where we really need to. And there are dead bodies all around us that used to fight in the same battle with us. 
because they yielded. They gave way. Verse 7 says, And do not become idolaters. Do you know what an idolater is? You can almost see the process here. The idolater is somebody who says that God cannot touch an area of their life. Anything that is that God is not allowed to put his hands on becomes an idol. Anything that guides over God becomes more important over God, has greater worth and importance over God, becomes an idol. Has more influence over God. You can become your own idol when God says, this is the way it is, and you're like, I know that's what it says, but I choose this instead. Interesting, because God says that stubbornness is like idolatry in First Samuel. What is stubbornness? God says, do this, and you're like, I know that's what you say, but I'm not going to do it right now. And you know what it does? Idolatry kills. Idolatry kills. And the worst part is, you die with it in your hands often. With my brother Mitch, it was a needle in his arm. Oh, one last time. My best friend in high school, secondary school, Randy, we were in a dojo together. Both used to be bad kind of kids, trying to clean up our act in regards to the drug scene. Really not good to know a lot of martial arts and then be doped up. Bad idea. You hurt yourself and everyone else. Chased after the same girl for years. Filipino girl named Doris. Beautiful girl. She was a Christian. Family was Christian. He wasn't. He chased after her. And somehow now I look back and see the kind of lack of wisdom in it. But he finally won her heart. He was Now he was a very mild, very mellow person. To be honest, and I hate to paint the picture like this, but think of Daniel Taylor. That mild, pleasant person. He's so much in character, very much like that kind of guy. And the night before I'm still at university, I'm his best man. A bunch of guys want to take him up on a road called High Road. There's a road that has lots of turns and twists. They had been drinking a lot. I wanted to show Randy the best time of his life, and boy, did they. Flew off one of the edges of it. They hit a tree so hard that the car actually wrapped around the tree and didn't go down. Everyone else in the car but Randy was killed instantly. Every bone in, face, in, in Randy's face was just broken, crushed. He looked like a giant tomato. And there I am, I'm, I'm 19 years old, and they're asking me, do you pull the plug on the kid? Because it's only machines keeping him alive. Oh, one last adrenaline rush. And it was one last adrenaline rush. You can't get that back. A good friend, Mike, big on acid, hallucinogenics, walking through, found ourselves near a, a, a river he jumps in, there's an undertow. That means there's a current that pulls you down. I reach down. I grab his hand. He looks at me, starts to hallucinate, sees my hand as a snake, lets go of my hand, and is the last anyone ever saw of Mike alive. I have to walk around for the rest of my life remembering the look that Mike gave me 
because it was the last look he gave alive. <coughs> it's an idol. <coughs> God says, let go of it. Then you say, no, I can't. God says, yes, you can. I will pull it off of you. No, 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 no. I will get in the way. I will knock you down. I will take out your legs. But we are going to let go of our idols. Sometimes your idols are just the things that make you feel good about you. You know that. God says, you're not going to be known as the musician anymore, the athlete anymore, the cute person anymore, the whatever anymore. Do you fight it? Or do you realize that God's not a God of nots? He's a God of instead of. And you always trade up with him. Are we fearful because God's the one leading us into the unknown? But we tell us, we tell everyone we have faith. Beloved, I just don't want you to die. And I don't want to die with you. Here's the good news. He's all, he really is all we need. He really is, he really is all we need. And when we become content in him, lust has no place. When we fall deeply in love with him, there's no such thing as idolatry left in our life. We actually pray those scary prayers. One of my pastors, the one in Cambria, where my wife and children were. And by the way, my children can become an idol. You're aware of that, right? That's what happened with Israel, right? When they said, oh, you brought us here to kill our children, right? I can't really do something crazy for you, God, because if I do something crazy, I'll damage my kids. God's like, if you're doing what I tell you, do you really think I'm going to destroy your family in the process? You really think so? Oh man, it's an idol. You fall in love with the Lord and all of a sudden, this guy, this pastor, he just prays the craziest prayers. He's like, oh, and God just crush us and break our hearts and make us miserable without you. And I mean, and what he says, me says, but you're like afraid to say amen, you know? So he's like, and God, if we're holding on to anything, break our wrists and rip it out of our hands until we're weeping and beating our breasts. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know. Amen. You know, and it's but you realize the heart that comes from that. There have been times in my life I was fearful to pray with a guy. And that alone showed me there was a problem. We used to sing a song in the first part of the chorus was Break my heart, bend my knee, make my life a prayer to prayer to thee. And I was always nervous. Break my heart gently. I really want you to break my heart. If you don't have it, yes. Is there anything in our lives we're not letting go of? Hey, your past can be an idol. Oh, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be who God wants me to be because I'll never be what God has me. You know, I'm sure there's other people. Pastor Tony's going to be something. Or, well, that person, they're going to be awesome. But me, no, because you don't know where I came from. As if God's like, oh, you're right. Everybody but Shirley or everybody but Andrew. Really? Or sometimes it's the other way around. You had a generally decent life, right? It's like, oh, but that guy was horrible, so he's got a great testimony. I was like, I need to go out and sin some, so I have a decent... Really? You really think so? Can I just say, don't go with those scars. And you know what it does? It kills. It's taking Egypt with me. It says in Numbers 25 that Israel remained at the Acacia Grove and then the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people, listen to this, they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods 
And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. Listen to this process. Men, ladies too, they invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. Come check it out. Come, come on, you don't have to do anything. Just come and see for yourself. And then the people ate. Let's break bread together. Let's become friends. And then they bowed down. And then they were joined. Not just to the people, to their gods. Verse 8 tells us the third one in that sexual immorality. He tells us that in one day 23,000 fell. That tells you what what a killer that is. If you're still battling, can I just say praise God? Dead people don't struggle. The reason you're battling is because you know it's wrong. <coughs> and you're refusing to give in. Well, don't. You've, you've won the war whether you know it or not. But sometimes, even though you've won the war, the battle still happens. And the bullets still fly. Pat it, man. Get your filters. Get accountable. Make it impossible and in horribly, horribly inconvenient to fall. Then here's our fourth of them, verse 9. Nor let us tempt Christ. Tempt Christ? What did they do to tempt Christ? Those in the wilderness fell because they tempt Christ? They got to the point where what God provided for them, they were tired of. We're so tired of this manna. Same thing every day. Manna this, manna that. It's manna bread. It's manna cotty. How much manna, manna, manna? Forever. I miss. You miss what? The bondage? No, the garlic. Hey, I like garlic. But it's nothing to go into slavery over. I miss the leeks. Now I'm a boy, so I think you missed a vegetable. Good for you. Oh, I miss the spiciness. I have a sister I love dearly. I mean, really, like, blood sister. Who married a guy that was, well, actually, they weren't even married, but had a child. And he was a drug dealer. Oh, he was he was romantic and he was a real exciting guy. But sooner or later she had to get out. Good for her. The, the only thing that this man offered her that was good, gave to her that was good, was that beautiful daughter that she had as a result. Corey. And she married a second. Well, she was with a second man, married this one. He was a good Christian man. Boring. He was predictable. He oversaw many different things within the Christendom, the world of Christendom. Worked within like the Christian music business. Uh, he, was just, he was a decent guy. You could set your clock to him. You knew when he came home. You know what he would eat. You know where he would put his feet. You know what time he'd go to bed. He was everything safe. But you know what he was? Garlicless. He was leakless. 
You know why? Because now the police were never coming to the house to find out whether they were being arrested. They were never running from anything. They never had to worry about somebody trying to shoot at them. They never had to worry about any of that anymore. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? But she looked back and she literally thought she was going to get suffocated because there was no garlic in their relationship. And she missed it. She missed it. So she left him. What Alex did give her, though, was a son. So this gal now had a daughter and a son. When she met boy number three, he was an MTV rock star. I kid you not. Had his own video the whole bit. And Nick gave her child number three, little Brian who said the scariest words in the world. It was about that time that I was reunited with my sister after over 20 years. Little Brian was two or three years old, maybe maybe younger. And he said the scariest words I've ever heard from anyone in my life. I don't get scared easy. He said, from the distance, Uncle Tony, wipe me. Yep. He was a little kid, needed to be wiped. That was very scary for me. I didn't have children yet. Yeah, I was waiting for you to catch on that one. He would wind up leaving her for a 15-year-old girl. My poor sister's been through it. She met another man. This man got saved at a concert we were doing. Gave an altar call. And he stepped forward. She's tried to leave him twice. But she keeps coming back because she knows. And you know what he is? He's basically garlicless. But he is an awesome man of God. But what a long road to get there. Do you want that to be your story? It can be. It doesn't have to be. You know, when you do that, you tempt Christ. You're like, God, prove it. If you really love me, prove it. <coughs> Is that ever a healthy relationship? Anyone draws a line and says, if you love me, step past this line. You know what's going to happen when you do, right? They'll draw another line. That's the way that works. Tempting someone is telling them, hey, so if you really love me, you'll do this. Now, doesn't that give you an uh oh feeling, ladies? Where does that usually go? If you really loved me, you do. You know where that goes. It would get physical, wouldn't it? How many times do we do that with the Lord? God, if you really loved me, I need something physical right now. What's the difference? You know what? They destroyed. They were destroyed. Is the word we have here by serpents. And behind us is a graveyard of people who their whole relationship was trying to, in essence, think about it, was trying to let pe people that tried to be the Lord but try to pretend like Jesus was Lord in their life instead. That's what it means. If you really love me, I'll set the rules. I'll make it this way. And if you think you got away with the last four, how are you doing on this last one? And by the way, I'm speaking to myself here too. Nor complain. Really? Complain? 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 
I read a Barnes report. It's sort of like the people that kind of do surveys for Christians in America. I don't know what it's like here. That said, on average, 23% of a general congregation by the cross-section that they interviewed complain about their facilities, but less than 0.3% of those people ever give anything to the church. I think it's a bit ironic. It's complaining without giving anything to help it. The people who complain were destroyed by the destroyer. And listen to this statement. No, all these things happened to them as examples. And were written, notice by the way, it says they happened to them. These were not just stories handed down. These literally happened to them. These are real people who died in a real wilderness. There was a real mass of death because of these things. And we have walked through them now. We've walked through them and says they were written for our admonition upon whom (coughs) the ages have come. Therefore, (coughs) here's our challenge. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What is the one thing in between standing and falling? Is a word, you ready for it? Blepo. Blepo. Doesn't that sound like the name of a clown? It's Blepo the clown, kids. He's here to make balloon animals. Blapo means, watch out! Hey, hey, hey! Watch this! Careful! Careful! That's what it says. And he goes, in between standing and falling is a person who's careful, who's watching out, who's genuinely, genuinely watching out. For what? Let me tell you for what. Watching out for lust. Watching out for idols, watching out for sexual immorality, watching out to tempt Christ, drawing lines and demanding Jesus do something. Hey, listen, you hear the person that are like, you know, my grandma was sick, and I said, Jesus, you've got to heal her. She's 98 years old. She's got emphysema, stage four cancer. Half of her body doesn't work. She's had three strokes. God, you need to heal her. I don't want her having any more pain. And then she died. And I said, God, we're done. Exactly how long did you want her to live? She's 98 and most of her is already dead. I'm not trying to be mean. But if she knew the Lord and this gal did... She's healed now. What you prayed happened. There's no pain in that woman now. That woman's not experiencing a stroke now. But the moment they're like, you know what? I said to God, if you do this, I'll serve you. As if God's at the table going, oh, sure, perfect. I know you, that you are very sincere. You will fully keep your end of that bargain. Any of you ever keep those end of those bargains? You ever do one of those? God, if you get me through this, I will serve you completely. And God's like, I'm going to get you through this, but I know you're lying. You don't know you're lying, but I know you're lying. I know you mean it, but so did Peter when he said, I'm willing to die for you tonight. And Jesus goes, "Mm, well, we're both going to agree tomorrow. Beloved, listen. 
you could be dead in this room right now. Because what life is about is Jesus. That's all there is to it. With a heart to praise Him and a heart to love Him and draw near to Him. But here's the good news. You can't go in reverse when you're going forward. Did you notice that? You kind of have to get an idol first. Now sometimes it's easy to turn off. But by God's grace, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to cleanse us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive us of that sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's the good news. Is that He's always willing to cleanse. He's always willing to forgive. Why do we need to confess if He's already forgiven it? Because we need to hear ourselves say it was sin. We need to say, God, that wasn't a little this. I'm not going to lie to myself anymore. I'm going to agree with you. It's exactly what you said it is. It's death. It's a toxin. It's idolatry. It's lust. It's immorality. It's tempting you. It's complaining. That's what it is. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to put my butt in it. But, I'm complaining, but, God's like, it's still complaining. One of the most revolutionary moments in my life, beloved, was when I got to chapter 3 of Genesis, two years into my marriage. I knew I was in trouble. Now, it wasn't like Suzanne and I were throwing things at each other, telling we hate each other or anything like that. We were just mediocre, and I couldn't understand how the second most important decision of my life would be mediocre when the first was so amazing. I'm like, God, you're going to have to change something or kill me. Because divorce was never going to be an option. That was never going to be an option. And I was like, Lord, and I could think of a handful of reasons why things needed to change. Interesting how little of them had to do with me. And this was many years ago. I'd like to tell you that I've grown since then. And then I got to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, when God calls Adam to the carpet, well, really the grass, and he says, Adam, did you do what I told you not to? Do you remember his response? It was the woman you gave me. And God stopped me right there. You know those moments where you want to keep walking and God stops you? And you're like, no, 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 no. We, we, we just keep going. We just keep going. And God's like, no, 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 stop. Stop. And you're like, no, 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 stop. Do I have to rip your legs off? You're stopping. Yes, sir. Who did he blame? Blamed her. Who did he blame? He blamed her. Tony, who did he blame? blamed you because you gave it to him. So who are you blaming? I'm so sorry. I had no idea. It was the beginning of a whole new revolution. A whole new revolution. But complaining ends up with him. How many of you are confident that God's in control? I'm not talking about we're arguing over sovereignty versus choice. How many of you are confident that God's in control? If you're confident that God's in control, then ultimately he's going to allow it or not, right? If he's going to allow it or not, no matter what you're complaining about, it ends up at him anyways, doesn't it? You missed the bus and you got it. 
he allowed it. You've been waiting for that thing to come in the mail. It hasn't come yet. The check, the job, the thing, the breakthrough. You've been watching those crazy TV shows and you've been standing on it and declaring and sending in your seed this and that. You're just going to declare it and shout it from the rooftop and it just ain't happening. The only thing you got up on your roof was wet. And you're complaining. My job. My boss. My wife. My husband. My house. The Bible says that if a lazy man says there's a lion in the streets, we'll all die. You get it? It's like you're looking at a heater and going, it's so cold in here. Do you have any respect for a person that complains when they can get up and make a difference? Someone says, you know what's wrong with the church? And before they even have a chance to answer, I said, yep, you. What do you mean, me? Because whatever you're going to say, you're obviously not doing anything to change. Or you wouldn't be complaining about it. You would be recruiting. Is the church full of hypocrites? Sure. So let's get more transparent. But if we do that, then we have to become greater friends. We have to become the family. And that's dangerous and our heart's going to get broken. Duh, get over it. Let's do it. But I'm going to get hurt, probably. And you're going to get healed. Be wise, guard your heart, don't be stupid. But be family. Church only wants your money. Well, you know better than that. Christians, they're all so superficial and shallow. Then be different. I'll tell you one that drives me crazy. Oh, Christian music, Christian art. You know, it's just why watch it? I'd rather just watch secular stuff. And you know what? Then make then make a difference. Then do better. And if you can't do better, sit down and pray. Because we should be the best on the planet. Because it isn't who's on our side, it's whose side we're on. The one who spoke the universe out of nothing. He started with darkness and said, let's go with rainbows. Which one of us would have come up with that? I guarantee you Satan could not have come up with that. He can't create, he can only imitate. So don't be the person that says, there's a lion in the street, we're all going to die. Gather up your crowd and take down the lion. That's the point. Oh, but that takes effort. Well, yes, it does. Is that a scary word? But if I'm in hot pursuit for Jesus, I don't want people who are standing on the track. I want people who are running. They go, let's do this together. So let me ask you something. Are we still going to the promised land here? We're we still walking. Are we taking the land? Hey, when that came, when we crossed the Jordan, by the way, all that God said was simple. He said, you, "Wherever you walk, I'm going to give you." Could you imagine? I don't know about you. I'd look for coastal property and I'd start walking. As much, and I fact, I wouldn't even start walking. I'd start running. That's just how selfish I am. I'd be out running you. This is my property now. Paul might even start walking in that case. He's like, ooh, there's a waterfall. I'm going to walk by that. See that little piece of property? That's where Paul walked. But what if? 
Let's, let's flip this coin and close this, okay? Look at On one side are the casualties of war. And all they did was they surrendered their gun and shield and threw themselves in front of their own bullets. It's really what they did. On the other side is an army that wants to move forward. See people saved. This week I've heard of at least 60 or 70 people now that from what I've heard from the, the theaters in the West End to some of you what you've shared in regards to your workplaces, I've, seen, I've heard 60 or 70 people, including Marcy's uh, funeral, that have got, given their life to Christ in this week. This is just the beginning. Is that crazy? You know what's crazy is the people that say that are part of our army. Nobody gets saved here. That's like saying with a gun in your hand, nobody gets shot here. And I look and go, it's a pretty well-polished gun you got there. Do you know what that thing right there in the middle is called? The trigger. Have you ever pressed it? Have you ever shared the gospel and given someone a choice? What if they say no? Well, are they any worse than they were before you shared? They know they have a choice now. And they may say yes tomorrow, whether you're there or not. My wife gave her life to Christ, kneeling beside her bed, listening to a U2 album. Album. That's those big things that look like CDs that were black. Who would have thought? Nobody else was in the room but the Lord. (coughs) But somebody told her she had a choice, and it caught up with her. And it will. Have you said yes to that, Jesus? If you have, let's start the Christian run. The Christian marathon. We're not going to do that weird power walk thing. We're going to run for Christ. And you know what? That's me too. And a year from now, here's the crazy part. I don't want to see you not dead. There's another side to it. A year from now, could you imagine how crazy cool you're going to be? And me too. If we continue to charge for the Lord. You really think this is as good as it gets? I hope you think this is as good as it gets so that God can blow your mind tomorrow. Because the trajectory we're on right now is unbelievable if it weren't for God. He's creating a universe out of nothing. Infinite in its expanse. Full of freedom and praise. But we don't look back through the rearview mirror and say the glory days. Those are the gory days. That's different. The glory days, we have yet to step into. So we haven't been there. Israel had never been to the promised land, those people. They had been 400 years captive. So they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how good it was. But we get hints. You know what they did? Two guys brought back fruit and said, see this fruit? That's how good it gets. That's a hint of it. Does it surprise us that God says that there's the fruit of God's Holy Spirit? That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know what that is? That's fruit of the place that we're going. And if we're willing to walk with it, do you realize? What we get to to nibble on, that was like a grape the size of a bowling ball, what we get to nibble on now becomes the main course, and all we have to do is follow him in. And I'm not just talking about we're going to heaven. I'm talking about here on earth, the walk that we have and God's ordained for us. God has nothing mediocre planned for you. What God has planned for you would make your ears catch fire if he told you. And the problem is, the reason I think he wouldn't tell us is because we'd go, no way. And God doesn't want to hear you say that. 
God's like, Andrew, if I could tell you what I want to do with you, and you're like, God, no possible way. And God's like, really? And he's like, and then you're like, but, and God's like, see, this is why. He goes, but why don't you just trust me? And I'll tell you. I'll tell you the next step. Why don't you tell me three steps? Because then you wouldn't talk to me until you took the third. I'll tell you one step at a time so we can walk each day. <clears throat> Beloved, what God has for us is so unprecedented. I really believe people, if the Lord tarries 300 years from now, will be documenting this time. And the crazy part is your name will be in it. And I want you to pray with me. But I want to pray one of those Pastor Matt prayers tonight. So you can be careful if you want to amen it. You might want to fake a coma, but I would much rather you pray this with me. But now, listen. Though it's been abused, let's use it for what it really says as we close this. That says, if we pray anything according to His will, <coughs> one, we know He hears us, and two, we know we haven't. So what I'm going to ask is, as we pray, ask yourself, is this God's will? And if it is, uh-oh, pray with me, would you? Lord, I want to start by confessing again, not because I need to, but just so that it could be said, that you died so that I could die. The old me, the bondage me, the selfish me would die. And you rose so that a new me could live. A free me. A selfless me. A loving me. Intimate with you. Watching you transform the world in me and around me. But Lord, as you've led me out of Egypt, I do not want to be a casualty in the wilderness. So I ask tonight that you commandeer my appetites and you stitch them imperviously, super glue, permanently, my appetites to your menus. And if there is anything that I am craving, that is off your menu, rip it out of my spirit. Dig it out from the very core of its roots that I would crave you, not just want you, but crave you. And that my life will be identified by the way I crave you and not the way that I've been graved. I pray, Lord, that there will be no arguments between me and you, that I would not call you Lord, but argue over things that could be idols stubbornness. Put my family where they belong in my heart. They're not excuses. Put our past in our heart in the right place so that it's not excuses. Put our circumstances around us, our own physical limitations, the life we've lived, the place we're at. Put them in their proper place. That the one thing we hold on to is you. That we reach for the goal 
as we press forward. And in that, Lord, I pray there would be no idolatry in our hearts, no stubbornness, no Egypt brought out with us. I pray, Lord, for a church of sexual purity. Not a Lord by the world. But Lord, our bodies in subjection to you. So God, I pray that if you need to destroy the internet in our house, you need to have every one of our pieces of mechanical, every, every piece that can access it break. The problem is, Lord, we'd still go out and find it somewhere else. So Lord, reinvent our hearts. Within our own attitudes, Lord, remove from it anything that would be impure. That there will be no sexual immorality whatsoever, Lord. Not even a hint of it. And if any of us are in anything that is even questionable in our hearts, let us now say, from this point on, I am not going to go anywhere. I'm not even sure is safe when it comes to this. I pray, Lord, right now that if we are battling you because we're tempting you and saying, God, you need to do this. You've got to do it now. We're drawing lines and saying, if you really loved me, you would. When you clearly proved it by what you've already done at the cross. I think it interesting, Lord, that the tempt you was destroyed by serpents. And the serpent is the accuser. And I do not want to be in any way destroyed by the serpent. I don't want in any way to accuse you of anything. I don't want to accuse my brothers or sisters of anything. I want to love them and build them up. I don't want to play games with you. And I do not want to play some form of crazy (coughs) entitlement game with you. Somehow thinking I'm entitled to a comfortable stress-free, challengeless life. So that when something challenges my comfort zone, I would complain, don't let that be me. I don't want to be destroyed by the destroyer. And I pray the same for every one of us here. As we could learn from these examples and take heed lest we fall. May we be a church so given over to standing that no one would fall. We do not want to be overconfident. We don't want to put some form of crazy stress in our own personal strength. This is not a DIY class. Without you, we are helpless and hopeless. But with you, If you were everything in our lives, we would be invincible. And that's where we want to be. So possess us completely. Every thought, every intent, every feeling be yours. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be only pleasing to you all the time. And so, Lord, I just pray today that you make every change necessary so that the choices we make demonstrate such a change that we are even surprised by them.
So Lord, we are yours. May the world say, may we see that we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.